Hi everyone, it's Terry Schauer and I want to welcome you to today's episode of the Real Estate Investors Podcast. My co-host Jean-Philippe Claude and I want to welcome today our guest Fred Awad. And uh, Fred is the head of sales at Stay 22, which is a company that uh, is sort of a partner of corporate stays. And we're very excited today to talk to Fred because in terms of market segments, one of the biggest shifts that we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic is really with short-term rentals. And Fred, who has over 10 years experience in the industry of short-term stays, is going to hopefully give us a little bit of insight into exactly what shifts are taking place, what new trends are we seeing, and how have uh, people who deal in short-term stays pivoted in light of some of the changes that have happened. So uh, before we get into the meat of the interview, maybe Fred, you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Terry, for having me. Um, so yeah, my name is Frederick. I am at State 22, as Terry mentioned. Um, without going, so we're a pure tech company um, that works in the travel space uh, and uh, namely in the short-term rental space, uh, basically I'm in accommodation. So without going into too much technical terms, uh, our solution is like, think um, Airbnb and Google Maps had a baby together. So it's a mapping technology that kind of allows you to do everything that you would do on Google Map, uh, but also access all the inventory of um, Airbnb in a live format as you change dates, change geographies and et cetera, plan a route and so forth. So um, that gives us also a very, um, data-oriented point of view on the market, right? And one that's not solely in Quebec. We're a small startup, you know, 30, 30 people, but a global company by the nature of our uh, product range, if you'd like. So it gives us, again, a very good insight on what's going on on that um, short-term uh, short uh, rental segment or just in the accommodation segment in general by the aggregate amount of data that we collect and analyze on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, my role as head of sales of the company, um, essentially putting maps in front of qualified eyeballs at a large scale. Um, again, very simplistic way to look at it, but that's essentially what it is. And as Terry said, you know, I have a background in hospitality management in hotels, independence chains, and then, um, you know, um, service to rental operators like Airbnb for business companies, if you'd like, uh, such as uh, corporate stays in the past. But that's who I am. Okay. I'm a professional. Great, <laughs> Great. <laughs> Fred, yeah. <laughs> he is uh, also a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, which is one of the ways that I met Fred years ago before we discovered that we had a mutual yep. interest in real estate. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, let's not leave that off the, off the list of accomplishments. Um, but so, you know, I guess one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is specifically this valuable data that you have access to. So if you could, in a bit of a nutshell, sort of tell us what you've seen in terms of what's going on with the short term rental market, uh, perhaps in urban centers, more outside. What are you what have you seen since the, the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah. So great question. Um, I think, you know, that the data we look at evolves very quickly, right? So, so one thing to keep in mind is that like the data we collected two months ago might honestly completely irrelevant, but things changes a lot, right? So, but one thing that's been, you know, consistent across the whole pandemic um, is really the desertion of city centers, right? So um, that is true for hotels, 
that is true for tourism in general. And obviously the market of short-term rentals has not been um, a stranger to that either, right? Meaning that um, there's just substantially less demand for accommodation, hospitality into city centers for the reasons that you probably understand already. First of all, less business travel, less offices, um, you know, open in city centers. And the city centers are usually where you have the most concentration of humans, right? So this is where the virus usually spreads the fastest. There's a big fear um, aspect to going to city centers, I mean, rightfully or not. Um, and that equals into substantially less demand for your, you know, studio apartment in downtown Toronto, downtown Montreal, for example. Um, let me just, I don't want to interrupt your thought process, yeah, but do it. you have any stat on exactly how much of a contraction there's been? Um, well, it, that varies tremendously depending on different geographies, but we're looking in general, like divided by two, divided by three. I think, I think that's, that's, that's a very fair conservative statement. It's probably more in certain geographies, but um, I'd say at the depth of the pandemic, probably like if I look at Montreal in, in let's say months like April, May, Probably it was divided by six or seven, um, probably less so now. But like, you know, Paris is a different story. New York's a different story. Um, so so the, on the demand side, if I, if I need to paint a very broad stroke, I'd say divided by two or three minimum. Okay. So demand. Um, so, so that's why probably if you own, you know, um, real estate in downtown city centers and you've been used to using them on Airbnb to generate more revenue, um, that's probably not working very well for you right now, right? Uh, I'm not bringing any news to anybody here. Uh, simply said that demand has dropped um, early on. And what happened, the consequence of that, right, is that obviously, you know, most investors still have a mortgage to pay, uh, but their revenues have run dry. So they've transferred that inventory that was on short-term rental websites, Airbnb or other ones into the long-term market, right? Um, so putting it on Kijiji or giving them to real estate agents for a long-term sale. So um, that's kind of a double whammy in terms of Airbnb's perspective or that very specific short-term rental market where drop in demand, and then, um, which is very fluid. I mean, demand can go back up quickly. Um, let's say should have a vaccine happen, but there's also a drop in supply now, meaning that there's substantially less units on the market than they were a year ago. That's uh, that's much less flexible, right? It'll be, take them. It'll take way more time for new supply to come in once demand picks back up. So, meaning that if we have a vaccine throwing completely crystal ball stuff here. I don't know if that's true. If we have a vaccine in March and suddenly the demand for city center rises overnight, um, the supply will not be able to rise overnight. So that's a potential problem for that or opportunity for that specific segment. Um, so that's city center. What, what happened on the flip side and why we often hear that the Airbnb space or Airbnb as a company is doing leaps and bound better than hotels is because of the demand outside of city centers or actually demand outside of cities altogether. Um, so cottages, um, houses on the beach, uh, you know, shacks or whatever it is, um, that's been extremely popular 
actually, um, especially this summer. Um, the rationale for that, I think, is not a secret for anybody, is you have a lot of city dwellers that have been confined for months and months on and that finally have the opportunity to escape their homes for a little break of everything COVID-related, their break from working from home. Um, and um, usually that you know, disposable income could go to international travel, for example, uh, but that's just not very feasible right now. So the only option that happens is you know, nearby your home or within driving distance, uh, going to what we call a chalet here in Quebec. So if, if on the flip side, if you are an operator and owner of a, a uh, chalet on, for example, Airbnb or VRBO or the many uh, different websites that there is for that, you probably benefited from a gigantic increase in demand. Uh, from that. Interesting stat um, that tells you an interest, a, a very good story is late May, early June, um, Airbnb published that they, they saw more transactions overall on their platform than same time last year. So meaning for the first span of three and a half weeks, I believe they saw more transactions in end of May, early June 2020 than they did for the same time in 2019 despite the pandemic. And that's a reality that's obviously not the one of city centers, but way more the one of um, you know, chalets and cottages and countryside as, as people started planning massively towards summer vacations in those destinations. So that's, that's kind of the realities of that short-term market as of now. And so, uh, I mean, again, now we're getting a little bit into uh, crystal ball territory, but if we were to flip this forward into the medium term, so I think we all agree that the person who owned a condo or a chalet on a lake somewhere near Montreal, if they chose to Airbnb it this summer, they probably did a very, very well with that. But as we're looking ahead into the future and we're trying to say, okay, I have some money to invest. I am interested in getting into short-term rentals. Should I buy a cottage? Should I buy a condo somewhere in Laurentians or in Eastern Townships or somewhere around Montreal or around any other urban center? Should I buy a property like that with the idea of Airbnb being it? Right. If my time window is the next five years. I mean, is this a flash in the pan kind of thing in the minute they open up international travel that basically makes no more sense financially, or are we actually mm -hmm. seeing a change that has some legs? I don't know. What would be your read on that? That's a good. That's a good question. Um, it's definitely crystal balling, but I'm willing to play the game. <laughs> um, I say, you know, if you're trying, good old classic investor sort of mindset. If you're looking to time the market, I think it's tricky, right? So, I mean, meaning that the if you've been following. If you've been following the pricing of the prices of, of anything real estate in, in touristic areas outside of city centers, everything gone up substantially in the past uh, six months, right? As there was a mad rush for rental, but there was also a mad rush for actually property acquisition. So I think part of that behavior is already priced into the market. Um, my opinion now is there still gains to be made Maybe. Um, but I think, yes, there will be more local travel than we've seen in the past, even if there is a 
a vaccine, right? And then international travel is open again. Will we see as much local travel as we saw this summer? Probably not. Will we go automatically back to exactly the same levels of 2019? I don't think so either, right? I think it'll be a balance between both. Um, so like my recommendation would say like, hey, if there, if you're looking to buy real estate in um, touristy areas, nature areas, cottages outside of the city, outside of Montreal, uh, and it's a good destination, the price makes sense, and you're willing to invest five, 10 years of your time and operate correctly, I think you'll, you'll see a, a strong ROI no matter how quickly the pandemic kind of resolves. Right. Um, that being said, if you're looking to kind of make a quick buck in terms of capital gain, and it's not what you asked, Terry, uh, uh, I get that. Um, I think it's probably priced in quite a bit right now. Um, so, so if you're thinking long term and operations of it, I think you can't go wrong. Really, I think that that this type of concept of renting houses and apartments over hotels just keeps growing the market share keeps growing no matter the pandemic i think that's solid if you're a good operator you'll make money but i would i would not be very confident in terms of a more um timing the market uh play as to the to the capital gain and just quick exit after a year i think you're buying high right now okay so i think that uh is some valuable information and it really makes sense so in terms of speculation on the property price you think that a lot of the appreciation that has happened um like let's say call it pandemic leverage like a lot of that exactly. speculation has already happened and if you're trying to time that today you might have sort of missed that wave but if you're making an investment plan let's say with a five-year time horizon chances are it's still possible to to make money with that the one thing that I would add, which is, I think, a, a not reversible trend, I think for sure once they, I mean, you know, it's anecdotal, but like the minute they open the borders and I can fly again, believe me, I'm going to be on the first plane out of here. Same here. Same here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that being said, I think there's a lot of people who now don't have to go to the office. And once they're able to, you know, have high quality internet that's somewhere an hour outside of a city center, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to work four days from the country and three days from the city. And I don't know that that's really a reversible trend. Like I feel that's a transition that maybe is just gonna stay with us after the pandemic is over, so. That's interesting. Um, yeah, possibly, possibly. I think, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Obviously the work from home thing has grown and there will be more more flexibility and more of a possibility for people to to work maybe consistently from the cottage, right? Depending on their work, um, I think that we'll see definitely more of that. And to your point, yes, that would just equal to more demand for outside of city property. So yes, you're, that's, that's probably a irreversible trend. And I would agree on that. I would just keep a doubt alive as to how much that trend, like how strong that trend will be, right? I think we have a capacity for very linear projections as humans. And, and we feel that, hey, you know, that's it, work from home and everybody will be working from home forever. And that, you know, that's not what you're saying at all, but just, I, I still very unclear to me anyways, in my very, my personal opinion, not a very expert in terms of that, in terms of um, human mobility, if you'd like, how much, how much of, of, you know, the city centers will really become 
less appealing to uh, professionals in the future. I think it will be less so, but to what extent? To 1% less, 5% less, 50% less? Um, I really don't know yet, so yeah, my yeah. And, and I think that's like really one of the big question marks. I know like so, and I have, um, you know, clients who have units that could have competed with Airbnb. Like I don't manage Airbnbs myself, but I have clients who have condos that are sort of in that uh, class of units that might be comparable to an yeah. Airbnb. And with the lack of exchange students coming in and with the previous Airbnb people who have put those units on the market now, um, you know, I, I've definitely seen a drop in that, uh, you know, the, the, the desirability of those kind of units. For sure. For sure. Well, I think that's enough. I mean, maybe I am a bit biased from my travel background, right? And my belief that travel will return um, strongly and, and you know, appeal for city centers will return strongly. But I see that as a opportunity as well. The fact that those typical, you know, small flats in the city centers have lost their luster and probably lost some of their value right now. Um, if you're in it for the long term, right? Um, I would, I, I'm personally entertaining uh, grabbing some of these units right now because they are depressed operators. Maybe, maybe, maybe there are every operators that are cash trapped or, or do not want to go the long-term rental route, um, and and they just don't see the value for it. I think it could be underpriced the next few months. Let's say if the pandemic kind of stretches, um, kind of the buy low, sell high type of concept. I think this as much as you might be buying high for. Um, you know, cottages now, even though I'm not saying it's a bad deal, I'm just saying that probably more expensive than six months ago, uh, you could you could could be potentially buying low in city centers as well for those small flats that are for students or Airbnbs. Um, and uh, I, I really think there's an opportunity there. Yeah, well, that's that was, I mean, exactly the question that I wanted to ask. And I think you sort of jumped on it before I had a chance <laughs> to articulate it fully. But exactly like if right now, let's say you're an owner of uh, an Airbnb downtown that was lucky enough to get a permit. Do you yep. sell that unit or do you hang on to it? If you're now watching on the sidelines and you're seeing units like that come up, perhaps at a certain discounted rate vis-a-vis -vis what they would have been sold for a while ago, what do you do? I mean, is that an opportunity or is that something that like maybe you don't touch right now because it might depreciate further before we're done? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, I think every situation is different, but assuming you're you're not cash strapped, right, and and that you're able to rent it long term uh, for six months, a year, like your classical leases, um, I would hold on to it, right. Um, I would definitely not sell it at a discount. Again, depends if you need the cash, obviously sell it, but I definitely see a rebound for it. Um, I think the fact, like I mentioned earlier, the fact that demand is going to be much fle more flexible to move, it will rebound much faster than supply will, um, is something that you need to keep in mind, right? If you ever want to get back into that game, um, you know, it'll be very difficult to, to, if I sold the unit, I need to rebuy a unit, uh, which has, you know, obviously a time frame for, 
uh, re-get it on Airbnb, re-approve and so forth. You, you already have everything in there. Um, maintain the permit, maintain the space and sit on it. Um, cash is king. If you have it, keep it. Yeah, I think um, what I really like about the point you just made is that there really is uh, interchangeability between what you can use those units for. So like I said, I had clients who had these units that were at one time snapped up by exchange students. And basically what I've advised my clients to do this year is they used to rent furnished units. And in September, we would have a feeding frenzy because there were not enough units available furnished for students coming in. And so basically what I said to my clients is, why don't we just store the furniture this year? We'll rent it at a discount for the next year. Make sure that it's a really a fixed term lease because in Quebec, you have the problem that if you don't do something about Correct. that, your, your lease will carry over. So we basically did that uh, with the unit just earlier this week where I had the tenant already sign his non-renewal um, for July. And we already pegged in like what was the last that the last rent was higher. So basically, right. And, and so we're just kind of like modeling around that. And so it doesn't mean that because you have an Airbnb that was running as an Airbnb, you can't just sign a six month lease, sit exactly. out the next second wave and third wave of the pandemic and wait and see next summer what's going to happen. And worst case, OK, you, you go ahead you rent it at a discounted rate again. You make sure that you get the non-renewal notice signed so that you don't get stuck in this trapped in this cycle of a discounted renewing right, lease. Right, right. Um, and then you just, you know, sit out in six month increments until things rebound. And like you said, take advantage of the time when on the uh, supply side, there's going to be a bit of a constraint because everybody sold and un airbnb their units. Correct, correct. No, spot on. And like some hotels will, will, will be closing as well. So if you're downtown city center, it's definitely going to be a supply problem once demand picks up. I think you're spot on. Like something to keep in mind is, anyway, from my point of view, is that um, the future post-pandemic will look, well, will be different than pre-pandemic, like it always is. But from a philosophical point of view, it'll, it'll look much more like pre-pandemic than our current situation right now. Mm -hmm. And I think and often a trap in those situations, that's just an opinion, right? I'm not giving you financial advice, um, is that, you know, to, to, to not look at the current pandemic extreme scenario that we're in, right? And to extrapolate this extreme kind of black swan situation over five years and think this is a reality that will be there for, for i mean five years because now is is you know especially for airbnb world that's the travel world it's a completely unsustainable uh, i mean situation where where airbnb itself will not be able to live for five years of the way it is hotel brands will not so much pants of our economy right that are currently on on heavy government funding, everything that's tourism related, will not be able to survive for five years in this kind of shutdown mode. Um, so, um, you know, travel will return and your need, the need for that flat, for that international student, for that people coming in for four nights to see a concert or, I mean, whatever it is, right? Um, this will definitely uh, kind of return. And, and uh, our data shows in markets that are a bit ahead, Right, um, they're not in the pandemic like Australia, New Zealand. They're not out of the pandemic completely, but they have like a, a leg up, if you'd like. That is kind of a uh, elastic effect, right? Meaning that just like you mentioned, Terry and I do, like we're so eager to do things that we have not been allowed to do uh, during this pandemic. So travel, 
right? So there's a lot of money on the sidelines waiting to when can I travel, right? And who means travel means needs for accommodations for most of us. So, um, you know, the data shows like a potential gigantic boom, um, not, not a sustainable boom that will be as strong forever, but as soon as the pandemic ends, let's say a vaccine or people's psyches become um, more less less fearful around the pandemic and no quarantines, obviously, um, we're going to see more travel than ever for a short period of time until it kind of stabilizes and start kind of rising over time. Yeah, I think what I really like conceptually and what you just said is that as investors, I think we always have this concern of getting wrapped up in short term volatility. And when you're looking at, let's say, reversion to the mean, like right now we're in one specific cycle of the pandemic that goes up. But chances are that once some of that dissipates, we're going to revert to something like a little bit like life was before. And so whenever you're making, like, let's say five year or 10 year term investment decisions, bearing in mind just reverting to the mean that at some point you will have, you know, crazy events that provoke volatility, be it a great opportunity for six months and then or a a complete drought for six months. If you want to project into the future, chances are that whatever is happening will revert to something that looked like normal before. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that something like that's going to happen. So I think exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't yeah. agree more. And, and I think that's it. It's important. Obviously, like I mentioned every situation is different, but if you have the financial means to weather the storm and kind of limit your losses, um, you know, on that side, that's definitely what I would recommend in the short-term mar- uh, short-term rental market. Um, yeah, don't don't sell low, right? Like if, if you can't afford it, don't sell low. Yeah. Okay. Good advice. <laughs> <laughs> Genius advice, Brad. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I know that there's a, a lot of our listeners who are maybe interested in Airbnb, Airbnb their cottage or getting into that as a neophyte uh, person operator in that market. So if you were to give your advice to somebody who's looking at this and, and considering it, what are some of the due diligences that they need to do? What are some of the basic mistakes that they need to not make as they start operating a short-term rental out of a vacation property? Okay, that's a good, a great, great question. So there's many, many, many things you could look at, right? But I think the number one thing is to just do some basic math, right? And do some basic market research. So you're, let's say you already have a cottage or you're looking to buy a cottage, like the location as to where you're going to buy geographically about the region is already set for you. Because um, often, and I'm generalizing, the behavior is, hey, I'll be a cottage. I'll Airbnb it most of the time. When, when I want to go, I'll go, right? It's often not like a pure investment thing. There's also some like uh, 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 kind of living in it. But even if it's not, it doesn't really matter. So do some market research. Go on Airbnb, go on VRBO, look at similar types of cottages in that same region. What do they go for, right? Um, obviously try to pick different dates and then modelize, right? To say, hey, how much I expect to rent it? I don't know, I'm renting a scenario. Three weeks out of four every month, I'll be renting it on Airbnb. Um, what can I expect? Can I expect maybe 80% occupancy? Because do not, you know, just do all those thought processes. Don't expect 100% occupancy all the time. It's not going to happen. So how much can I get it for at the average rates? And how much revenue does that make me, right? Is that something sustainable compared to the mortgage that I'm having? Is that Does that cover the types of benefits, benefits, profits, sorry, that I want to have? So that's the first thing, like, hey, does it finally make financial sense? Uh, because, um, yeah, at the end of the day, if it's, if it's an investment, 
that's a, a rather important one. Another one is get informed, right, in terms of um, what is legally possible for that set region, right, or sort of province. If you're in Quebec, uh, CTQ is probably your best reference in terms of how you can get a permit. Do you need a permit? What's the process to get a permit? Um, after, so once that's settled and, you know, yes, it makes sense financially. Yes, I can do it. The process seems to make sense, not the super complicated um, three-year process to get it to, I mean, get a permit. Um, the second thing I would look at is, okay, how do I market my property, right? Uh, and I'm assuming, you know, you're probably a real estate investor. You'll know how to furnish it. You understand you know, um, how to set it up nicely and that sort of thing. So it's good for uh, livable conditions. But from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, you need to build trust for somebody to go sleep at your house or your cottage via pictures and text. So put your efforts accordingly. That so the quality of your staging and pictures that you take is 100% crucial. For me, it's, it's I would invest serious amount of money to ensure I mean, I mean, everything is relative, but that the pictures and the text and the way this property is staged on the listings on Airbnb, for example, are like the best that you can find because that's 95% of your marketing is that. Um, I think start from there. I mean, um, after that, the rest you're probably very familiar is in terms of property management property maintenance. Um, if you're a real estate, real estate uh, investor, I think I'm not going to teach you anything on that. Um, but do your market research, understand the pricing, understand the region, understand if it's feasible to do short term. If so, how can you get you know, the permit if a permit is necessary? And then uh, make sure your pictures and text are as appealing as possible. Can I jump and, in? Uh, yeah. okay, can I jump in a second? Yeah, for uh, Frédéric, just before you move on on that, um, I find this, the website AirDNA. I don't know if you're familiar yep. with that website. I am, for sure. Uh, how reliable are these information on that website? I was just curious uh, of uh, hearing you on that. Yeah. That's a, actually, it's a great point. So there's tons of, you're bringing a wonderful point off, Philippe. There's a lot, a lot of tools out there, right? To For Airbnb hosts to manage they're listing their area, maybe their property, right? AirDNA is one of them, right? Um, and I'd say for uh, for large city centers, I think I trust it 100%. If um, for cottages, like, you know, like everything else, it's about how big your sample size is, right? I'm not saying it's bad information. I'm just saying if I'm looking for chalets in Bay Saint-Paul and et cetera, yes, I'd, I'd definitely take information from AirDNA. I would not replace it from me playing on the platform and looking at it uh, kind of yourself, right? So the tools are great, there's some pricing tools, there's, there's tons of tools to help you understand the market and how to best leverage Air, um, Airbnb, but none of them replace you going from a consumer perspective on the platform and playing around and see you know, how potentially you could be seen or how others are actually uh, showcasing their property. But Airbnb is great, it's a great tool, but it remains a tool. Um, maybe I can just go back and uh, like 
return to sort of our previous question and say, so you, you know, you spoke a little bit to doing your market research, um, for sure, professional photos, staging, making sure that your a listing pops out of the other uh, things that are available. But what about stuff like setting up, getting set up for GST or uh, worrying about how you do your tax decorations and stuff like that? Is there anything that somebody needs to know right up front that they need to not make a mistake with? Or can they sort of just figure that out as they go along? Uh, well, there's a few, th I mean, I am not a fiscal expert on that, but I mean, there's a few things that are evident, right? Um, one of them is, um, you know, depending on the geography you're in, you might need to pay kind of an occupancy tax to the tourism board. So for example, if you're in Montreal, Montreal is not a cottage, but you know, if you're opening into, uh, into Montreal, you need to pay the occupancy tax, uh, through a uh, tourism Montreal. Um, most platforms now uh, insist on you, Airbnb does that you pay GST PST as well, um, and uh, I think that's the most important thing. Of you need to be able to do that, right? So if it's the first time you are operating a short term, uh, you need to have your tax numbers to do that, right? So something you probably want to look at prior to you going to market. Okay, and what about so there are you know property managers available to take care of classic rentals. There are also in the short-term rental market, concierges and yep. stuff like that. What should somebody, what's a, how does that work? How does a concierge operate and how should someone go about finding one? So there's tons of like, just like there's tons of tools like AirDNA, there's tons of tools in terms of the operations of the, of the actual units. So, um, you know, there's straight up property management companies that will take your apartment or rental or cottage and kind of manage everything for you. Um, and that's okay if you want, if you want no frills. I mean, um, there's a lot of them. I'm not going to do any ads for them, but if you do property management, uh, cottages in Quebec, I'm sure you'll find in Google tons of options there. Um, I would still recommend if you're going to that space for the first time that maybe you try, I would say do everything. You need to be there to greet the guests and give them the keys, but that you try to do as much of the nitty gritty work yourself for the few four or five times at least just to understand the whole dynamic before you give a handoff to a third party, because like everything else, right? The handoff to the third party does, you know, they'll, they'll take a substantial amount of the revenues that you uh, that you gain through that, right? And they'll probably have a set fee as well, monthly or yearly, to manage your properties, depending on how they modelize their uh, their business. And if that can be perfectly okay for you, I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. If you can be, you can't have 55 cottages and managing them all yourself. That's just doesn't scale well. Uh, but um, I think you understanding the work behind, understanding the cost that they're going to charge you versus the actual work needed, um, you will not know what the actual work is needed until you kind of see it firsthand. And um, I'd recommend, if you can, to do part of the legwork yourself to begin with uh, before you hand it off to anybody else. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Definitely, when people ask me, you know, with my property manager's hat, People often ask me, oh, should I hire a property manager? Because I've heard that that helps me scale my investment business better. And my advice always is, look, unless you're starting off buying a 40 unit place exactly. and you really are not gonna have time or, or energy to take care of it, if you're buying one triplex, make a commitment to yourself that you're gonna manage it by yourself for a year. And after that, hire a manager, if exactly. that's, what you, that's where you wanna go with it. Because 
first of all, it's going to help you so much through your interview process. And then it's going to help you manage the manager because if yep. you actually don't know what the person's doing and you're not, uh, don't have visibility on how they go through their decision-making process, what's a good job, what's a bad job. You don't know your tenants. It's a very key position that if someone's not doing that job, well, they can really mess with, how that investment works and they can actually really depreciate your property and, and create serious problems. Be it, you know, tanking your reviews on Airbnb is a pretty good way to make you unattractive. Um, yeah. So no, you're, 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 on. Yeah, you're delegating a lot of power to somebody and when they're have the control, the operational control of your, one of your biggest assets, you definitely want to at least understand what they're doing so that you can know whether or not they're doing a good job. 100%. I think for, you can really replace firsthand experience, especially if you're going into a new market, right? Um, it's pretty self-explanatory, but yeah, get your hands dirty a little bit. I think it's worth it. Uh, I mean, and that's not only like, there's another aspect, right? You're, you're spot on in terms of the operations of it. But, um, you know, a lot of your financial success of your cottage on, or maybe even downtown flat on Airbnb will depend on how well you're able to sell it, price it, manage inventory, manage, you know, discounts for long-term stays and et cetera. And but that's a little bit of a game, right? So if you don't, if you have not played the game, um, I think it's very risky to give it to a third party before you playing that, especially since depending on the way the third party management company, um, you know, is, is structures, it's pricing, your interests might not be aligned. Right, so I'm giving you a, an example, company property management X, they just charge a flat fee, right, um, per year. So what's their incentive for them to really be active in terms of moving their pricing, inventory, whatever it is to ensure that, you know, they're, they're raising your occupancy to the max. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna say that they're not gonna care, but just they will not have the same incentive as if, for example, they have a piece of every transaction that happens. So um, that's it. I, I get your hands dirty for at least a few months. Yeah, and I think again, you made a very good point that I like that's uh, worth underlining, which is that whenever you are using the services of, be it a building inspector, an accountant, a real estate agent, a management company, understand how their payment structure works and understand what that does in terms of the alignment of your objectives. Mm -hmm. So I think you just gave a perfect example there. And I think a good example of where that gets a little bit perverted is with the real estate broker. So for example, real estate brokers get compensated on doing a sale, any sale, whereas you as an investor want to make the correct decision for you with a model that makes sense. And so I'm not saying like, you know, there are brokers with varying ethics out there. I have a broker's license myself. I've done a bunch of transactions, but the broker is in a seat where when you buy something in the least time possible, they make the most amount of money distributed over the least amount of hours. Exactly. And so when you're working with a broker, you at least want to have in the back of your mind, how is this person getting paid? And for example, like as a property manager, I get paid in a percentage of revenues. So if I leave a unit empty, I'm not going to be making any money on that unit. So I like to explain to my clients that that's a good way to make sure that our objectives are aligned. But I think you need to just be aware of that in terms of, you know, when you hire professionals to whom you delegate things, how is that going to create incentives for them that are the same as your incentives? And when are your incentives kind of going in 
separate directions with how their pay scale works. I couldn't agree more. It's 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 kind of a must, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that kind of comes to the end of the questions that I wanted to ask you today. I'm not sure if we have any audience questions, anybody who's holding their fire, but now would be the moment. If there's anything you want to ask Fred, um, you can just post it in the comments and it will come up for us. So are there any audience questions? There was one actually, uh, Terry, but I think Frederick uh, actually answered. I pop it on the screen very shortly. It was Anne. Uh, Frederick, I would like to know if there's any, uh, if there's our reliable management companies in Montreal area for short-term rental. Uh, I know you answered a question, but do you have any recommendation that you would like to give? I can, I can give one. I can give one. There's, there's a lot. I mean, uh, depending on the type of property, I'm gonna just gonna remember. Um, one of my good friends, um, so rent it furnished, um, so rent space it furnished, uh, probably the Canadian leader in terms of kind of high end though, uh, high end property management um, in, um, in, uh, in Canada. But there's a whole lot. It really depends. And Christian's and is good. It really depends what your properties, um, what where your property is what type of property it is and and kind of what's your objective because if it's a very high-end property then yes that have probably reference that are different than if it's for example for students or is it for business or is it a cottage um i think it varies a whole lot i know it's a very vague question but rented furnished i'm just giving a shout out to my friend erica um if it's high if it's a high-end property that's probably the best one you can find a cat okay and I can add a, a question uh, from myself. I know it's crystal uh, ball again, uh, but talking about uh, real estate investing in Montreal, obviously there was a major impact of all these Airbnb units shifted back to long-term yeah. rental. Um, when do you think the shift back is going to happen? Is is there going to be that much of a shift back because the regulation change as well? in the middle of uh, the pandemic um it's a great question yeah that's a good question so how much um, yeah well i think i mean the when the dates i have no idea but when demand picks back up like i think people will want to move to a more lucrative uh higher roi um short-term rental now the 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 legal framework of it is a great question right um like I think it really depends on the the, the government stance at that point. Uh, the laws are clear, right? Like you need a permit um, and getting a permit, and I'm not gonna go into whole this because that could be a two hour conversation, but getting a permit in Montreal, for example, is difficult, right? Um, so, so that is clear that, you know, it's gonna be very difficult to move it back. That being said, um, like I did in our presentation about a year ago, something like that, or maybe a bit more. Um, the how to enforce those rules is very difficult. Um, I don't think it's realistic for the government to be, and, not, and I'm not saying to do things anything illegal. I'm just saying that it's going to be very difficult for the government to enforce the rules as they stand um, at a very wide scale, right? Um, I don't see them having an army of hundreds and hundreds of inspectors trying to find that and catch people in the act on Airbnb. Maybe not everything, 
um, or maybe simply new players will come in. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, eighty percent will come back. Seventy percent, if we're being, uh, I mean, negative. I, I just feel there's so much of a demand for this type of types of accommodations in general, and it's only been rising. Then uh, I don't see how we'll be able to completely stop it. Right? Um, I think the government will have to continuously adapt its legislation to, I mean, protect the citizens and their living space and not, you know, not massacre and neighborhoods, but without also playing the ostrich of the market that's consistently growing and that's they can't ignore the strength of that market either. Yeah. And I think if I can go back to something you said a little bit earlier on in the interview, I think you made a really good point where, you know, you're looking, let's say, uh, something that's very democratic, like Uber. You know, like you take something like Airbnb, if I can get a permit or even if I choose to not operate with a permit, my barrier to entry into that market once I own a unit downtown is relatively low. No. Whereas no. if you look at the hotel industry, which, you know, they own massive real estate, they have massive obligations and tiding over a year or a year and a half of lockdown, second wave, third wave, maybe fourth wave, depending on how long we do this for that's the kind of thing that's going to have trouble surviving in the long term. And I think when we see shifts in the market, I think if anything, this is going to accelerate an already existing trend, which is that if Airbnb was doing well before, as some of the bigger hotel players find their lives increasingly difficult with what's going on, there might even be more demand in the Airbnb market just because of the way that the hospitality industry shifts as things move forward. I agree. The, the, the flexibility of the model of like Airbnb, for example, or or those um, you know peer peer produced. I don't know how to call it. I kind of can't find the, the actual word for it. But yes, the, the flexibility that they offer uh, makes it substantially more of a flexible um, offering than hotel. Hotels are already closing. Uh, I mean, a lot of them just like the. It's just not worth waiting it out. They're going to repurpose the actual real estate or something else. Um, that being said, right, I I still I agree one hundred percent. Like to everything you said, I just want to give maybe like kind of a silver lining. Um, I think hotels that remain will 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 be fine in like a year and a half, two years. I'm not terribly worried for them because the because travel as a whole, right, in the past. 20, 30 years has been like double digit growth year over year forever. And for sure, yes, pandemic will put a halt on that. Will that kill that trend? No, I don't think so. I think human mobility is something that's deeply engraved in our DNA and it's not going to stop. Um, I do think that the market share of short-term rentals will continue to rise as it has in the past 10 years uh, once the pandemic subsides. That does not mean that the hotel space will die out. It just means that they probably do very well, but they just continue to lose market share not because they're they're not doing good business, just because the pie is growing faster than their own um, growth of their business is growing. Badly phrased thing, but I'm I'm sure you got it. <laughs> yeah, I think hmm. it's really a nice parallel with if you look at let's say the Ubers and the taxi market. Right. So yep. let's say the pandemic had a certain effect on the amount of people taking trips in private cars over the last year. And maybe the market of private trips 
decreased because nobody's going out on Friday night and because people are moving around less, but yet less people want to take the metro. So, okay, something happened to the overall number of trips that people exactly. are taking. And then within that, you have the fact that the barrier to entry when you buy a taxi permit is huge. And the barrier to entry when you want to start Uber is basically you have to go to the sack, you have to pass a thing and it costs you, I don't know, for maybe a hundred bucks and two yeah. days of your life, you're now an Uber driver. So on what basis do you make the decision that buying a taxi permit makes any sense for you? And then you look at the market share of those two competing media of short-term trips that you're taking. And then you look at what's happening with the market share of Uber versus the market share of taxis. So maybe, yeah. you know, if you can create a parallel, that's like one kind of a thought experiment way. Yeah, it is, it is. No, it's a great, it's a much, much better way than I had said it. Absolutely. Um, but essentially it's just like, there's a fallacy. I think sometimes that I hear is that, Hey, Airbnb is killing hotels, right? Um, pre pandemic I'm talking, which is like, was empirically false, right? Hotels have, 2019 has probably been one of the best years for the the hotel industry all time, right? Uh, it's simply, and it's not because they're beating Airbnb. It's just because travel has been booming so much, right? So um, just that little fallacy to, to, I think that will continue post pandemic. Um, maybe travel will change in the way it's exercised, but I still think travel will continue to grow. Okay, well, great uh, prognosis, Fred. I don't know, we're kind of coming to the end of the time that we have. Do you have any closing comments or anything you want to add before we uh, thank you for the interview? No, I mean, I'm, I love sharing. Thank you for giving me this platform to, to, to chat. And uh, and yeah, like stay, stay patient. This is not just like stock market, right? When it crashes, if you don't need the money, don't sell low. Um, it'll come back up and, and demand for your 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 small downtown flat whether it be airbnb or or just a normal rental um i think we'll come back um so be patient yeah and uh if i can add the property manager's word to that don't get caught in a long-term quebec lease that has no end <laughs> so if you're going to make that decision make sure that uh, you have the tenant sign some kind of a lease and uh non-renewal form before you start giving it away at a discounted rate that they just can't refuse once the pandemic is over <laughs> that's it that's yeah. it you got it awesome yeah so look, uh, Fred, thank you very much for taking the time out to have a conversation with us. As usual, you're very clear, and I think you have some great visibility in terms of the data you have access to. I think it definitely makes me feel like I'm speaking in a more informed way about what's going on in the short-term rental segment. And uh, I don't know, Jean-Philippe, do you have anything you want to add? No, love the interview. Thank you, Frederick. I know we uh, we had you on a, one of the uh, monthly event. It was very, very interesting presentation. Love the crystal ball. Love the fact that you commit yourself. Uh, some people just like, oh, I don't know, you know, like you commit yourself. I love it. So great interview. Thank you for the knowledge. It's my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Take All care. Right. Bye.